Welcome to the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, the show where we dissect the businesses of top producers, examine their growth strategies, and share with you the bare bones of their success. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and I'm glad you're here. Let's operate. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to this week's episode of the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. Guys, I'm joined this week by a special guest. She is an entrepreneur, a best-selling author, and uh, a drone pilot, and uh, an LEO instructor as well. But uh, above all, she's an HR strategy pro. So uh, please welcome to the show, Brenda, the HR lady. Brenda Neckvottle, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am welcome. I know we've been trying to get together for a minute on this. I'm super pleased uh, to get you on. There's not many guests that I introduce, Brenda, that have quite such a long uh, list of accomplishments behind them. I don't even know where to begin with you. You're known as the the HR lady, though. So, um, you know, let's let's just start there. Tell us a little bit about what you do. On the HR side or on the drone side? On any side. This is, it's the small (laughs) business surgeon. We're going to learn a little bit about you and then we're going to learn a little bit about some of the lessons you've learned along the way. So let's just start. Tell us a little bit about you. All right. So first off, um, I am a serial entrepreneur and I actually became an entrepreneur, a multi-company entrepreneur um, in an effort to actually support my family. Mm-hmm. So I have a father with Alzheimer's. I have a sister who's a widow with five daughters and literally had nothing. So um, this is, it's like, I have this huge responsibility to help make sure that everybody has got a roof over their head and food on the table and that right, they are, right. you know, they've got right. healthcare and all that stuff. So that's really kind of how it started, to be honest with you. Um, I've been in human resources for a very long time. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. I've been in human resources and business even longer. And um um, I've got, I've got a couple of passive investments that I have that produce mm-hmm. uh, a lot of seed money so that I can continue to grow. Right. Um, I have my own HR consulting business, which is really, really, it looks like it's moving more into, we do help HR professionals, but honestly, it's really moving more into like business structure and leadership. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. especially particularly for entrepreneurs, which is really cool. And then I also have a this is such a far cry from everything that I've ever done, but it completely ties in with my entire background in life. Um, mm-hmm. I, I started a drone company that utilizes like my entire training cadre. They're all retired Navy SEALs. And we go in and work with law enforcement agencies to help them really get some advanced training and shore up, tighten up their skills as it pertains to uh, UAS and drone flight. Oh, okay. So like, um, like drones for imaging and stuff for flying. Um, it's sometimes it's strictly just flying, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of dynamics and difference in dynamics between flying outdoors and flying indoors and, (laughs) and actually, (laughs) and, and applying that skill set. I mean, you're a drone pilot, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't fly them indoors though. That's that. But then again, I don't have to go into, uh, into buildings like, like the, uh, like the police do. So I, I mean, I get that, you know, indoors, um, any photographers and videographers listening, just cover your ears. Cause I don't want to give away my trade secrets, <laughs> but in indoors, I made a bracket that links to a pole and we went and got a, a swimming pool cleaning pole that extends out 30 feet. Um, I have a bracket at the top for the uh, the camera and a bracket at the bottom for the monitor. 
and so I get to run my drone drone shots from indoors, uh, but completely safe without worrying about yeah. flying everywhere. But you guys go into buildings that you can't put people in, correct? Right. Yeah. Right. So that makes it a little <clears throat> tricky. Yeah, it is. And you know that that particular type of maneuver or tactic is there to really help assess what's going on inside. Mm-hmm. And and it's hard because you know when you're inside, there's a lot of hazards that can come yeah. up to flying. And you know, you, like you know, look, these props can chop fingers off, and they can do some some damage. So you really have to know what it is that you're doing, and and that's what we work to help them figure out. Like, how do they be? How can they have that top skill so that way everybody's safe, including the people that you know may have done something unlawful or you know, they're just having a hard time. You know, there's a lot of mental illness out there. There's alcoholism, there's drug use. And so, you know, those behaviors get erratic, right? So how do you send in a drone? So that way you can scope out and then figure the best way in. Mm -hmm. So that way everybody's safe. You know, we have a happy ending coming out of this. And so we actually teach specifically the flight piece of it. Hmm, that's super interesting. Uh, I'd like to get back onto drones and stuff uh, later on in the show, but yeah. bef- before we do, let's rewind a little bit. Um, yeah. um, you you started out in uh, in corporate HR and then made the transition into entrepreneurship. Is that right? Yeah, I go a little bit further back. I actually started in retail, okay. and retail will give you a broad <laughs> brushstroke of everything. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me you touch everything from finance to marketing yeah. to visual to sales to ops to safety to hr i mean you literally touch to loss prevention you touch it all mm-hmm. so you started out in retail and then mm-hmm. got to hr from there what did the journey from hr into entrepreneur look like for you <laughs> it was a sudden stop <laughs> <laughs> well fair enough <laughs> So I had, I was working, uh, I was working as a vice president of human resources for a small government contractor here in the area. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some leaders are not leaders that trust their people. Mm-hmm. And some leaders are leaders that tend to micromanage. And I found myself in a situation to where um, we had some, I was put in a compromised position really without my knowledge and so i said no (laughs) we're not doing this i'm i'm not putting myself out on a legal branch for anybody if i'm going to make that decision for myself at least i know what the risks are but i had no idea what was going on and i kind of discovered it so i left suddenly which is the only time in my entire life i have ever just walked away from a job like that and and i had to yeah i mean yeah it, it's strange that because you don't you don't think that at the level that a company's operating that has an HR department itself, you don't think that there would any be ever be anything uh, under the table or untoward going on. So, uh, in HR, well, I'll tell you I'll tell you a little secret. Okay, is is that HR professionals in a company have the second, if not unilateral or, or equal level of risk, personal liability. Uh, in a company alongside the CEO or whoever the apex leader is. So, oh yeah, when we're, and and when I say that is because let's say, for example, you have an unresolved employee issue and they decide to go ahead and take it to court. Mm -hmm. And and now they can actually go direct to court versus actually filing with the EEOC. 
And so, especially if it's like a discrimination charge, they can actually take that in or sexual harassment or retaliation. They can go right, like, do not stop and pass, like, to collect $200, go directly to the courts. And if, if it turns out that through the course of events that the HR pro or the leader of the organization is uh, responsible for the outcome, the employee can actually take that individual to court in addition to the company. Wow, that's crazy. Yes. So, so there's a lot of liability. Well, I was going to ask you, like, my next question <laughs> leading into that was, was, what's the one thing about HR that you could tell us that would surprise the small business owner? But I think you just nailed it. Um, mm -hmm. So tell me a couple of common mistakes that the small business owners make in, in this sphere and what the best ways for them to avoid them are, seeing as we're stuck on this topic now. You know. <laughs> that's all right. The, I will tell you the number one mistake that I see, especially with new entrepreneurs. Um, so anyway, so to answer your, your past question is that I walked away and I just started a consulting company because I knew I was marketable. Oh, we're period. going back to that. We, I, yeah, I need, I need all sense. of, I need all of Brenda's, Brenda's history here. <laughs> you just got me thinking that, Hey, I, I was going to ask you what the most, you know, surprising thing about HR was. And you told me, I'm like, well, yeah. damn, while we're on that subject, give me a couple of lessons for the guys listening yeah. on some simple yeah. stuff. And then we'll yeah, get back yeah. to how yeah, you left. No, no, that was it. That was the end of that. I wanted to finish the sentence, You're but good. anyway, um, the thought, so that way we didn't have a cliffhanger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the number one thing that entrepreneurs make the biggest mistake is that they don't classify their employees properly. And what I mean by that mm -hmm. is they try and get around the tax code by making their team 1099 and they mm -hmm. treat them like 1099 contracts, but they treat them like W2 employees. They give them raises, they give them benefits, or they tell them what to do. And, they give them, the, they give them a mandatory meeting. You got to be exactly. here at eight o'clock. Well, that doesn't right. work like that. And the IRS is very clear on this. And if, I mean, in a situation like that, not only would you be dealing with the IRS, but those employees have the ability to go ahead and file suit against you under the Fair Labor Standards Act. And let me tell you something that starts a Department of Labor audit, and those audits can last up to three years. And I bet they know what they're looking for when it comes to the difference between yes, W-2 and 1099 and yep. have you paid payroll taxes and all that and other stuff. And they will ferret that out and they won't even do it just for that one employee. They will pull your, all your records and they will look for every incidence for every employee, every pay period, every month for the last three years. That's how far back they will go. That sounds like a real pain in the ass, to be honest. It is, and it's very expensive on top of it. So that is, so just, you know, that's the number one mistake. The, the second mistake is that they don't take time to develop their employees. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is that, you know, I get that the sale is important and bringing more revenue in. Absolutely. But once you get somebody in through the door, if you're not teaching your employees how they should approach customer service issues, how they need to do something, how they need to engage within the workforce that really surrounds how you envision the company, your core values, what you believe in, then they're, then you're going to have issues. You're going to have like big issues. Um, you're going to have high turnover. You're going to have people that are making mistakes and quite frankly, they don't care. And you've got to train your people. You have to train. I think what Henry Ford had this one, made this famous quote. It's like, you know, people ask, it's like, well, what happens if I train my people and they leave? And it's like, well, what happens if you don't and they stay? Oh, <laughs> that's know? a good one. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no doubt. So <laughs> how many, in, in your experience, how many business owners, because I never had them, and I, I've run successful companies uh, m multiple times in the past, how many business owners don't actually have a coherent mission and uh, clearly defined core values? I, the vast majority of them. Okay. So I'm just I'm in a room full of apex people and everybody's got them done and I'm just like yeah. why, why aren't these normal but in all yeah. honesty you know starting out as an entrepreneur um, nobody can do anything as good as I can give me all the work I'll get it done you guys just help with this this and this and there's no cohesiveness in this is our mission this is where we're going and these are the things that we we value is there a good way to bring that up and start working on that as a business owner yeah, it's 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 right away. I mean, you, anybody can start doing it now. They just have to get very clear on what their core values are. And then then the big question is is that every move you make does it support your core values? Mm -hmm. Right? So it's like the same thing. It's like every move you make, it has to support your number one business objective. So if you're not so I'm going to give you an example. Look at CarMax for instance, right? I worked mm -hmm. for CarMax for 8 years. CarMax's number one business objective is selling cars. That's it, period. We sell cars. That's what we do. Right. Everything you do around that. If an idea, suggestion, a system, a process, an SOP, a, a result, a business decision, a change, a shift, if it doesn't support selling cars, it's not a fit. And that's oh. where a lot of people get stuck in the minutiae. It's like, you know, you'll have administrative employees or employees who deal with that side of the business. And then they'll say, well, you know, we have this process in place, but what if we did this? And what if we did that? And if we added these extra steps to the process, because usually they're looking at it through their eyes as to how it benefits them and getting their job done. Right. The question is, is it going to help us sell more X? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, it's not a fit. And I think really through COVID, when businesses had to not shut down, but shutter and everybody go inside yeah. and work from home, Companies learned really damn quick that they had a lot of extemporaneous steps in their businesses. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, know, yeah, it I mean, was a shock. Well, in, you know, personally, I mean, we cut probably $50,000 a year of expenses out of a company that at the time had four employees. Yeah. You know, ridiculous. We were actually forced to sit and look at our processes and what we were doing and what we were spending on what. But if it wasn't for COVID, we'd have just kept going as, as life yes. as normal and, and kept yeah. spending that money. So it's it's, it's crazy yeah. you bring it up. And it's a blind spot. Oh, yeah. You don't you don't actually see it. No. You, no, you don't actually see it. Mm -mm. So where does this passion that you've got for HR come from? Where did, How did that originate? Because, like, I... I, I mean, no offense at all, but I hate what you do, and I pay people to do it for me. <laughs> it's because you haven't had me sitting next to you at the table. <laughs> I, you know, I just, I have, I have people take care of all that—the hiring, the onboarding, the interviewing. The like, I don't, I don't touch it. Um, the, the pay, like the, the taxes, all that stuff. How, how did you like? Did, did you get to a point and realize you were passionate about that, or was it just something you, you started to work on and realize you were good at? Yeah, well, uh, both actually. Um, it was in it was in like 2000 when I discovered that I really liked it. I was given an opportunity to help um, when I worked at CarMax um, at the time to help keep our hiring process organized mm -hmm. inside our own location. And when that's because the guy in charge didn't want to do it. The guy no. in charge hated. It. <laughs> 
Well, that's a big place to have a guy in charge of hiring. I mean, that you know, one location has you know billions of dollars of assets. I'm right? just, I'm teasing so, you. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, you are. But anyway, but yes, no, he didn't want to do it. But he did hire. You know, he did interview, and he actually conducted the final interview on every candidate that came in, and he gave his blessing on it. But he did it because we were ready. We we brought him viable candidates, and and that was part mm. of our defined process. So. You know, I saw I worked for this company that had great processes. I heard really strong leaders say very impactful things, even during some of the worst times that we've experienced together. Mm -hmm. And I went, wow, you know, I came into CarMax burnt out and fried from a management position where I didn't have anybody that liked me. Um, I was good at making, I was good at taking a broken system and a broken store and converting it and turning it around into profitability, something that was profitable. Mm -hmm. I was really good at that. I still am to this day, but I, I did not make the right kind of connections because I had some, I had hiccups in my own leadership style. And I didn't really look at that type of position as a leadership role. I looked at it as a manager and guess what? Managers only make sure that things get done. Mm -hmm. Leaders are the ones that know how to shepherd people through the vision. And so I wasn't that I was somebody else and I was caustic and toxic and I was a real diamond in the rough. And, and matter of fact, that manager, we were just joking about that leader. We were joking about at CarMax. He took me under his wing and he became the first leadership mentor. A matter of fact, to this day, we still stay in touch. And he's been my favorite boss to work for my entire career. And maybe, I have a tremendous amount of respect for that human being. Maybe because of how much emphasis he put on leading uh, instead of bossing, right? Well, you know what? He was the very first person in my life that looked at my edge and saw a value to it. And um, he also saw something else in me that I never got credit for. And that is, is that when I work with a customer, I, and I have a very strong tendency to make people feel very good about themselves mm -hmm. and about the decisions that they make, because everybody has concerns and questions. It's like, you know, it as an entrepreneur, you've made a decision. And in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, shit, man, I hope this was like the right yeah. move I'm making here, you know? Dude, that's and just you, that's just a Tuesday around here. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so when you have somebody that comes in and, and validates what you're doing, even though it might be a little skewed mm -hmm. and it might be a little off or something's not really quite right. You know, when I work with somebody, I come in and I take a look and I'm like, okay, so here's where you are. I get this. This is this is where you have exposure. But you know what? Here's the good news. You, you've done great so far. We got a little bit of work ahead of us just to be able to get you to you know, just, you know, time collapse it just a little bit. We'll skinny it up. We'll just firm up your, your position and you'll be in a much stronger, stronger position. If you continue to maintain this moment forward. Mm -hmm. Now that makes a lot of people feel good to know that, holy cow, I've got this HR professional. That's going to tell me I've screwed everything up. That's yeah. going to scare the hell out of me and has and literally has my, my interest at heart because a lot of people do the right things, but they also do the wrong things. But with they, all they have to do is just make tiny shifts. And then it gets, once it's set in place, then you just maintain it. And it's not really hard. <laughs> it's not hard for you because you're an expert and you've been doing it all these years. <laughs> no, even, even the people that you hire for that position, you give them that support to be able to do what's right. 
it will maintain itself and therefore it doesn't become hard. That's what I'm saying. No, I get you. Um, I'm yeah. just, I, I'm yeah, trying to, I'm trying to talk backwards to the guys that are listening and going, <laughs> well, I've got two employees now and this, this thing terrifies me. Um, yeah. You know, because it, it does get quite scary knowing that you've got mm -hmm. people on payroll. Um, so talking of scary, <clears throat> you left your corporate world like a hard stop and jumped straight into entrepreneurship. What mm -hmm. were the first couple of years of doing that like? What were some surprises that maybe you weren't expecting that you ran headfirst into? Mm -hmm. Personally? Yeah, yeah. Um, personally was, you know, I, I came from a prominent position which has prominent money attached to that. And even though I had prominent money, still that you know because i i gained a clientele very quickly right um but you know what it's different oh there's something about a a regular paycheck hitting i mean the yes. the career i quit to do this was any, anywhere from 120 to 150 a year uh with with a bunch of travel and in my uh, in my 20s in my late 20s early 30s that was very comfortable um, mm -hmm. And obviously, I've surpassed that now. But like that jump was, how do I go about replacing that? Because there's something very reassuring about a paycheck showing up every two weeks. You know, whether yes. you get, whether you get sick or, or whatever, that paycheck's still there. Um, how how did you get over that in the beginning? It and it, you know what it it it's really funny. It's actually that feeling is just deeper than the sentence. There is a security like a deep rooted in the basement of your gut kind of security in the back of your mind that you know you're fine, right? Mm -hmm. You you goof up a check and your account goes into overdraft or you, you know, hit the wrong button, you spent too much buying crypto or whatever, you know? And you're like, you know, hey, Friday's right around the corner. I'll be fine. That's, you know? that's how it rolls, man. Oh, we got, so what, we got another right. closing coming, you know? Right. So <laughs> I knew I was going to be fine financially because I know I'm marketable, right? Mm -hmm. And I wound up making the exact same amount of money my first year as I did my last year mm -hmm. as I was employed. So I knew I could do it and I was really happy about that. Here's the thing is the reality of knowing that Friday is not right around that corner mm -hmm. is what made me tighten up how I spent. And it took a couple of smacks in the face to do that. And, but then develop a comfort around that. And so, you know, a long time ago, I made the decision, I'd say it was like 2009. No, it wasn't, it was 2011. I decided that I was going to live below my means. Okay. And, and then, you know, you know, like people who are on a low carb diet <laughs> or they count calories or something. And then all of a sudden they get like carb creep because they're like, oh yeah, I can take an extra bite of this yeah. or I can have just a little bit more of that. And then all of a sudden you're not losing, you're maintaining and you just get that creep, right? Well, the same thing happens with money and your decisions and choices, right? Even though I still have my life set up living below my means and I'm talking about my basics and I still do exactly the same thing as I did back in 2011, I would get the spend creep and yeah. because it was there. And so when I converted from an employee to an entrepreneur, after a couple of, like I said, a couple of smacks, it made me realize that this is, this is a different game and there's nothing wrong with living below your means and on periodically getting something that you really want, right. you know, and, and there's a lot of allure 
that comes with being a business owner because people only see the highlight reels. They never see the behind the scenes stuff. That's the truth. Right? Yeah, right yeah. there. <laughs> right. So you and I are with Apex, right? We're in executives. We're mm-hmm. surrounded by multimillionaires. Um, and as a matter of fact, there's a couple of billionaires that we're getting access to as well. Yeah. With that comes a certain way of seeing them. And then, you know, it's like we we may or may not be in that exact same position. But again, you also don't know what's in there behind the scenes because you're only looking at their highlight reel. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. And for, for me, it gets intimidating with me going in those rooms uh, because, you know, I well, I'm le, le, it let's, does. let's be honest. I'm on the bottom. Yeah. Rung, I'm on the bottom rung of the ladder that's in the top room. I just joined it. What? Three months ago. I've got a lot of work to do and a lot of growth to do within that within that particular group. But there's guys in the groups below us that look at us like we've got our shit together and you know yeah. i don't feel <laughs> they fooled <laughs> i don't i don't feel like i've got my shit together no. um and i still feel like money is coming in and going out faster than i can possibly keep up but yeah. the amounts of money going in and coming out are increasing exponentially so i must be doing something something yeah. right but like i want to let everybody know that like you look at me and i look like i got my shit together but in reality it's a green screen a background and um look i'm a, let me let me do this right now for those I know, watching i can see your son's head pop it's like a pair on yeah. your shoulder so for those watching this this is my this is where I record this. Um, I know I look like I got my shit together, but that's that's go. the studio I'm in. And then we put, you know, we put the background back on. My my kid is there. My little boy William, he's with me all day. And yes, I do have my shit together, but at the same time, oh, we could look. That's a good one. I had that on earlier. All right, so for those of you listening on iTunes, that was the uh, Joe Biden background standing right behind me. I'll, sh- I'll share that with you if you want it, Brenda, because... Uh, that that's the last thing I need standing behind you, me. You probably, you probably smell more presidential than I do. Let's just be honest. I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, I right. do have the Veep haircut, though. We'll, we'll go there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd rather interview you than her. But... Um, <laughs> Not our current Veep. I was talking about Julia Louis Dreyfus. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know who that is. I, I, okay. I, I I tend to be ignorant of politics, except for what people tell me about. I, I the, <laughs> if if it's if it's urgent enough that people will tell me about it, then I don't have to waste any time reading about it. So got, I got better I got better things We're to good. do than that. All right. Um, so back on topic. Yes. I want to skip around from HR for a minute and talk about drones because. Mm. As everybody knows, HR and drones go completely hand in hand, and it's a, a super logical transition for you to go from one business to the other. So, sure. how how on earth did you end up in in drones? And by drones, you're in like you're in like super high tech shit for drones, right? You're not just messing around with the the little toys. So, yeah. how on how on earth did you wind up doing that? And how was that segue? So, going back to going back to what I was sharing with about my having to take care of my family. Mm -hmm. So I have a background in government contracting compliance. And so I understand how to, um, I understand the process of submitting for a bid with the government and the federal Mm -hmm. side It's not too much different than the state side. And I had set this, one of these investments up and I went, I'm perfectly primed to do government contracting. Why the hell am I not doing this? Because the government is the, is the planet's number one customer. That's true. And they ironically never run out of money. Mm. And so I thought, well, what, what can I put in? It's like, where can I benefit this country? 
as far as a provider. And I did some soul searching. I, you know, played around here at the state level a little bit, tried to come up with something. And then I saw this thing called drone and I started looking in and I'm like, it was a police department that was Mm. buying a drone and they put it, they had an open bid for it. And I went, Hmm, you know, I know a bunch of SEALs that have the capability of supporting law enforcement. So then I just started researching it and researching it, researching it. And, um, you know, I, I took a little pause to continue to do a little bit more research in the government contracting sector. And then I went down to Georgia and to Atlanta to the AUVSI conference down there. And I sat in and for an entire week sat and listened to law enforcement officers fire and EMS talk about every single problem that they have in the industry. And I'm mm. writing all these problems down. And I'm like, these guys know how to solve that. They know how to solve that. They know how to solve that. They know how to solve that. Ah, look at you. So take me and through some of the problems. Take me through some of those yeah. because this, this intrigues me. Uh, Cause like you mentioned earlier, I, I do have a drone license. I fly for uh, my mm-hmm. media company. I rarely fly at all now. We've got other guys that do that. But I, I have enjoyed my time, especially indoors and outdoors, flying drones. And I have lent support to law enforcement on flooding stuff. I went out a couple of years ago and was doing live yeah. uh, live relays from, from floods so they could see where, where the waters were and where it was going to be dangerous and stuff. So it's, it's quite fun for me to look into. <clears throat> so tell me, what were some of the problems that you ended up solving for some of these guys? Well... The first, the it really even goes back a little bit farther than that. Um, I was helping a SEAL transition out of active duty. Mm-hmm. He wanted to start his own drone program. He ran a drone program over in Naval Special Warfare for five years. Um, just And he had to learn it from scratch. And, and that's the kind of environment that it's like, if you're building something from scratch, you are the absolute master of it because it, they don't just look into it. They go right down to the root. And so, and because they have to apply it and then that way is it's the most, there's an expectation to have the most elite outcome. Right. And so we were talking and I made the suggestion. I said, you know, with your capabilities, and that's a key word right there. He said, with your capability, you can actually put yourself on FEMA's emergency response list and get contracted to go out and during catastrophic events and actually do overview overwatch stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and do some aerial recon. He said, that's awesome. And then he went out and he got a job somewhere else. So I called him in February and I said, hey, remember that idea? Because it hung with me. He mm-hmm. goes, yeah. And I said, are you going to roll with that? And he goes, no. And I said, well, do you mind if I do it? And he goes, what's your idea? <laughs> so <laughs> that's actually where it started. And so speed that up because there aren't a lot of catastrophes. Then I'm like, right. okay, so if there aren't catastrophes, what else can we do with this? Because this is everybody I talked to like, oh my God, that's brilliant. You know, and I thought, well, hell, you know, we, we use seals. They're used to being out in this austere environment, right? Right. And so they're primed for it. And so um, I started looking and I thought, wow, this is a rising industry when, when I'm in. And it, it just so happened by walking through that threshold and recognizing that I can make a huge power move right now by learning what they need, talking to the guys and figuring out how can we fill that gap? And, and it didn't take anything long. Matter of fact, I actually came up with the solutions and bounced them and validated them off of my guys. And now I've got eight pilots right now, Wow. eight instructors. Yeah. I have eight instructors that we are all prepared 
um, to actually really go deep. We've got a couple of agencies that are talking and, and agents, when I say agency, I'm not talking about like three letter agency. I'm talking about sheriff, police, right? Right, right. Um, because I am, I am, you know, registered on the federal side too. So, but, you know, they're talking about, hey, can we have you submit a proposal and talk to us about coming in and actually teaching this in our own academy? Can you come? We're building a new unit and we want you to come in and, and do this. And like, we want to talk to you about what other kind of trainings that you can come up with, because here's where we have our need. So it, it opened up dialogue and, and the big piece of it, I never once sold anything. I just came to them with the right background, the mm. right team, yeah. the right mindset. And that was, I'd really like to learn more about what it is that you guys do. And when I started talking to them and I mentioned, and I'll be honest with you, when you say Navy SEAL, that tends to, it does tend to open doors really quickly, right? Because, yeah. you know, the, 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 credi the credibility is, is instantaneous, right? We, we know a lot more today about Navy SEALs than we ever did before, mm -hmm. um, you know, as a public, but it does hold credibility instantly. And so, especially in this area where I live. Um, so when they hear that, they're like, mm, pay attention. And then we have conversations of like, I'll ask them, like, what are your biggest challenges that you're running into? And we've got people in our network that are knowledgeable of this. If they're having latency issues between, you know, what the drone's camera is showing on the controller yeah, all the way, you know, and pushing that down range, you know, that's an issue. That's mm -hmm. a big issue. And that's going to happen anywhere where you've got a signal, right? Yeah. The, the further away you get, the more it lags. Yeah. I've been there. Right. I've done that. Or, or if you're in a high, if you're in a high RF area like yes, we are, because yeah. we have eight airstrips in this area, we've got 23 installation, military installations from macro to micro. You're gonna have like crap in the air. It's as mm -hmm. simple as that. We have the hor we have horrible airspace around here to fly in. It's just the way it is. My, my I'm I'm not gonna tell you which town I'm in, and I'm not gonna tell you which airport it was, but my uh, my air traffic controllers, there's only two of them work the airport, and they're like. Finally, with me calling in for let them know where I was flying and everything else, I would call, you know, I was calling a couple of times a week. And finally, they were just like, Sam, keep it under 150 feet and don't call us. We're a commercial airport. Like, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I don't I don't know sometimes if that if that drone <clears throat> restrictions a little overreaching, maybe they could just give us everything under 200 feet and not worry about it. Yeah, well, yeah. the FAA <laughs> is all about safety, but but so tied in with my background in crisis management i'm you know a certified rescue diver with you know extensive training on becoming a, a dive master i never you know finished it but right. i had i had three physical exercises that need to be done everything else was checked off right so i'm a highly trained diver i get the emergency mindset you know i trained as a paramedic or i should say an emt not a paramedic uh, i trained under paramedics and and so i have this background that has just kind of sat quietly. And, and when I started looking at the drone stuff, everything started falling into place. And so when I said capability is key word, right. basically what I did is I took problem and lined it up with capability. And that's how these solutions got created. And the, the, it's something that most people overlook. They don't even look to think to see the problems. And, you know, as, as, as somebody sitting at a convention, listening to people, um, 19 out of 20 people are going to get bored listening to people give speeches about problems they've got. And then the, the 20th is you writing down the problems and figuring out the solutions. Um, 
you know, I'm firmly convinced that, that Biggie Smalls had it backwards. And it's the more problems you come across and can solve, the more money you will make in the long run. Yep. Oh, no. Um, all right. Tell me about these drones, because you can't just go out and find an off-the-shelf product that takes care of all these problems. So not only have you had to make a drone, you've also had to make the controller, the software, the entire thing from start to finish. Um, tell me about your drones and what they do and the uh, the process. Let's get into the process of actually saying, I want to build a drone. What happens next? Well, I, just be clear that if you're going to build a drone, you're addicted. <laughs> it's like you building a drone is no small feat. <clears throat> and honestly, for law enforcement, the best thing that they can do is actually is subscribe to a blended fleet mindset. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the reason why I say that is because not every drone is ever going to meet every team's individual requirements. That's a good point. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Cause there, there, look, there are some really great drones out there. Um, but they aren't, but one drone from one manufacturer may be doing this, but you have a laundry list of things that you need and that drone is not capable of doing it. So then that way you have to go out and get another drone that may knock off three, four, five of those things, right? right? So I have a drone that is my primary drone. And by the way, I name all of my drones after Transformers. So this is Ironhide I'm talking about. Um, ah, and <laughs> I love it. I love it. So when are we, we going to see Star, Star Screen? We've got to get Star, oh, Star Screen in there. <laughs> I haven't figured out how to get, yeah. So I, right now I'm an Autobot. <laughs> But uh, we'll, we'll figure out Decepticons. I, well, I said, Star, I said Starscream because he had his own drones, if you remember correctly. That's very true. He does. Starscream he had he had Laserbeak, and then he had one of these that's others. That's right, but he, he was definitely drones, a Decepticon. Mm, right. Yeah. So, but th that's why it jumped out to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so anyway, when you look at Ironhide's capability, and I was dinking around with this yesterday, and you're going to laugh when I tell you the story, because I was on the phone with a SEAL friend of mine when I was doing this little experiment. So I've been studying more about IR and thermography and trying to understand how this technology works mm -hmm. and how it can be best applied in what we're doing. And so I went down to our, our military store, uh, military surplus store, and I actually picked up, or I should say supply store, they don't do surplus. And I picked up a pack of um, IR chem lights and I have an idea for this, uh, a training exercise because we do scenario-based training. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, test this out real quick. It'll cost me like what, 20 bucks to do it. It's no big deal. So I cracked open an IR light and I flipped on my drone and I've got the therm on it. Mm -hmm. Now, even though drones call say like, what well, has IR? Well, it may not have true IR. It may have only therm or mm -hmm. thermal imaging, right? right. So, so mine has thermal imaging on it. it does not have IR because IR uses ambient light. Mm -hmm. And so I flip it on and I can see the the stick. And then about 10 minutes later, I can't see the stick. And mm -hmm. so I'm on the phone with my friend and, and he's such a wise ass. He goes, he's like, well, you know, Brenda, he's like, the thing about IRs is that IR chem lights is that if you don't have nods, you're not going to know if it actually really works. So you have to crack open another one. And I thought, you know, that's actually really sound logic. And so I cracked open a second one, same thing happened. And then I couldn't see that one either. And then that's when I realized that 
the heat from my hand of cracking it is what yeah. was being picked up on the stick, not the actual IR. So, you know, we even need to, you know, dink around with these things too, to make sure that what we're, what we're training makes sense. Right. We have to right. validate our own, our own instruction. And I thought, okay, well that, go there goes that exercise. Right. But it's got me dialed in. And so that's when I realized it's like, you know, I need to, I need to, you know, dig deep into, you know, real true infrared technology and thermography to understand. So, and, and again, that's a really great example because if I'm, if I'm asked or if I'm contracted to go fly Overwatch for a mission in our local police department here, mm -hmm. then, or any one of my guys for that matter, and they take iron hide out, they have to know the capabilities of that drone. Because if we say we can do something and we can't, yeah. Not only we're violating our company's number one core value, which is integrity, mm -hmm. but what the hell makes you think that any police department after that is going to want to work with us? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it would damage your reputation uh, completely, exactly. wouldn't it? Right. Yeah. So it's something as simple as that, just that that mindset, right? Mm -hmm. So, So going back to the conversation, and that's the reason why blended fleet so if you're going to get into building your own drones you're actually probably moving away from a managed flight system into true flight where you're going to have to ride the stick all the time mm -hmm. and you have to really take into consideration if you're in a mission where you're standing next to the incident commander or whatever it is you're doing for that matter like if you're contracting to go get um you know images of dolphins in the water right yeah. the question is if you're in a high wind situation or um kind of like a volatile weather environment do you really want to be riding the stick or do you want more of a managed flight system right so you have to understand these things dude and then yeah run, running sticks and wind oh <laughs> it, your I, hands hurt they, yes. they cramp up and then you're like wait a minute i'm at full throttle and this thing isn't moving we're going yeah. backwards yeah exactly <laughs> yes exactly yes. yeah and of course um, the higher you go the windier it gets mm -hmm. so yeah yeah I'd, so, forgot, yeah, I'd you, forgotten you, about that because mine fly themselves now. <laughs> Everything on mine is just GPS. I mean, we, we use mm -hmm. them for we use them primarily for real estate photography, and uh, we do some mapping stuff for clients. But even the mapping missions, you just pre-program and you hit go, and it, it comes back on its own. Exactly, um, but and that's I, a managed flight system, mm -hmm. right? I started with helicopters um, and just pure curiosity, so I know what it's like to try and fly in those crosswinds and balance stuff and. If yep. you gave if you gave me a choice, I'd have uh, I'd have a managed flight system every day of the week. It's just yeah, uh, exactly. But then because you... it, the drone is the drone is programmed to do what it needed to do. So, um, you know, you have to really like any other tool in your mm -hmm. toolbox. You have to take a look at what the drone's capabilities are and will it match what it is that you want to do. And mm -hmm. you know, for law enforcement, EMS, fire, they have to have blended fleets. And then when you look at my area over here. Because we live out, you know, I'm over here in the Virginia Beach area. Mm -hmm. I, like I said, we have 23 installations, micro and, and macro. You can't fly a DJI drone next to Fort Eustace or next right. to Dam Neck or, mm -hmm. or any of these bases because it's a Chinese drone and there's yep. security concerns. I oh, hate to say it, but that's the truth. No, so it, that there's means probably backdoor. There's probably backdoors yeah. into it. It's not a security concern, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a reality. A, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, there's a it, right there's there there was discovered that there was some mechanism with the chip um that upon a download it could potentially transfer data over so you guess what yeah. department of interior grounded a thousand of those drones they mm -hmm. opened it up for contract work but here's the other thing 
in order for law enforcement to fly near a, a base like that, they have to fly what's called a blue UAS drone, which means that it's approved by the government. Mm -hmm. And, and for the only sake is, is that drones capture like any, like a person just twirling around with their camera in a circle on their cell phone, they're going to capture everything that's around them. Drones yep. are no different than that. And you can accidentally catch something that you shouldn't. And that's, that's a practice, right? Mm. That's a, that's a best practice right there. Yeah, that's, that, that's a good point. So now that Ironhide is, is getting out of prototype stage, um, <laughs> What, what, what sets it apart? What is it that you hit the nail on the head with, with Ironhide? And why should I buy your drone? And not me necessarily. But... Mm. Well, Ironhide is not, I don't manufacture drones. Um, we do have a relationship with a drone manufacturer that is releasing um, a specific drone for law enforcement that's meant to fly indoors mm -hmm. specifically. That's a relationship that we have. And, um, you know, to answer that question, is that those those particular drones may or may not need or meet a need for like special operations law enforcement special operations like SWAT mm -hmm. um you know they're not meant to fly outside they're meant to fly indoors and so the big question will always be is it going to meet your needs right. and um and you know and you know part of the challenge for law enforcement is that getting money it's hard you know public public funding is not like military funding where you get a big pile at the beginning of the year and you have to spend it down to zero it's not like that it's very different and so they have to sometimes get creative and well, apply for grants and stuff like that the cops in my town have it figured out they just sit on the highway with these little guns and they, they take people's speed and then they send them <laughs> fines they get loads of money they <laughs> no is, is, is that not how they raise money for drones kyle can you check that please mm -hmm. Yeah, see, see if that's how we raise money for drones in law enforcement. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> oh, it, it says right here, ticket quotas are not a thing. Okay. All no, right. ticket quotas are not a thing. I don't believe that. It feels like that. it, but they're not. I don't. I don't believe it. I saw. I saw some poor, poor, poor gentleman pulled over this morning by the the motorcycle police, and uh, you know, it's just that's just a, a a tax that we have to pay every now and again. You just get unlucky, don't you? <clears throat> well. It's all about behavior, right? Yeah, I just I just don't speed now. Like you know, I got boring. I don't street race either. So they they started taking your cars and crushing them. So well, that's enough of that then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> put the period at the end of that sentence, didn't it? It did. All right, what are we doing now? Um, we've covered drones. We've covered HR. We've got a few minutes left. What I'd like to do is cover books. And before we yeah. talk about your new book, which we are going to get to very shortly, um, what have you read recently that has uh, tickled your fancy and you'd like to share with us? Oh, man. I just recently, I, I didn't read it. I listened to it, but Tim Grover's winning. You, you're kidding me. Look oh, at this. Look, look at this right now. Look at this. Watch. Watch. Deck, isn't it? Watch. I'm actually <laughs> like. Yeah. Absolutely I'm on, I'm on fantastic page. Book. Yeah, I've, I've been. This is my second time through it, and uh, I'm doing a certain. I'm doing a certain lifestyle program that requires I read a certain amount of pages every day, and there it is, right there on my desk. Nice. That's great. Yeah. We didn't set that up at all, did we? Um, no, we didn't. That was awesome. No, I love that book. <laughs> tell me, uh, tell me one of the standout parts of the book for you. So, what resonated? If you remember my telling you earlier that I had an edge to me years mm -hmm. ago, yeah. right? it's just part of who I am. Right. And, and even my, my favorite uncle, he's like, you are like the most direct person I know. You just kind of say it how it is. 
I've got family members that can't swallow that. So I grew up really beating myself up for being who I was. Mm -hmm. And when I listened to how, how Michael Jordan approached winning and how I, how I listened to Kobe Bryant and how they approached winning from Tim Grover's perspective. Yeah. And they had high standards. Like I've, I've been told like, sorry, I can't meet your exacting standards. And, and sometimes I was like, well, I'm sorry too, <laughs> you know, but it's like, after yeah. reading that book, after reading that book, I realized that, you know what, I don't have to feel bad for having exacting standards. If I want to win. No, I love it. I love it. That's a really good takeaway from that. Mine was, uh, mine was along the lines of winnings, not, uh, it's not clean. It's dirty. It's hard work. No. It's, it's crawling through the mud. It's getting kicked in the teeth and still going. It's bleeding on stuff and still going. That was one of my, I mean, I'm, I'm on page 112. Uh, so yeah. that's my biggest takeaway so far is that winning is not sunshine and rainbows. Winning is making it through the shit, making it through the rain and coming out the other side. You know, and just being con scrapping, being consistent, it's getting man. ugly. Consi look, there's, yeah. his there's his little head behind me. Look, you see that? <laughs> My kid. Um, all right. So <laughs> that that's just like hugely coincidental because I've got I'm reading about five books right now. And that's just um, I've got an office book and a house book. And I try to do 20 pages a day, uh, 10 of each. So I'm rereading this one. Um, nice. What? But you, not only are you a best-selling author, you've also got a new book coming out, which, uh, in uh, in all fairness, will have been published by the time this episode drops. So, yeah. <clears throat> tell us uh, first off, tell us about your new book and what it's all about. So it's called Two Wolves. Which one are you feeding, and how are you impacting your team? And so, you know, we as entrepreneurs. Like we were just talking about how winning is dirty, right? Mm -hmm. It's messy. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that I don't, not a, I've learned that the leaders don't always hear or dial into how they're showing up in front of their team. And, and that's where this came from is that, you know, being in HR, I've had the privilege of being behind closed doors more often than I think I can count. Right. And the things that we've been successful at resolving as far as undesired behavior and transitioning that into desired behavior. But I've also heard the conversations that absolutely must 100% remain behind doors. And that's the leaders who go through what they feel and their frustrations and the stuff that they have in their head as they sort through these people issues, right? Mm -hmm. Every employer, every, I said employer, every leader, CEO in the company, president, whatever you are, yeah. you own every you own every problem in the business, even if you aren't the one working the problem, you own it. And so it's your responsibility to make sure that you get through all of that. But then when you have people that create problems in how you come across, how you are perceived is really a lot about how you're going to get through this situation. And, and I'll give you an example. Years ago, I, <laughs> I had this employee, um, one of our standards that we had of company policy at the time, this is before, this is before cell phones were actually used by and supported by employees. It was like, you know, you can't have your cell phone on the cell floor because it's rude right. and disrespectful to your customers. And you're, you know, you're doing this instead of, you know, going out and talking to people and helping them out. Right. Mm -hmm. 
So we had a girl that was texting on the on the floor <clears throat> and I came up to her and I said, hey, listen, I said, I saw that you got your phone. I'm sure you're handling something quick and personal. I need you to put it away and, you know, start working on the recovery for tonight. And so she's like, yeah, whatever. And so five minutes later, I come around the corner to do an inspection on something as you know, trust, but verify. Right. And there she was standing in there on her phone. And I walked up to her and I said, I'm sorry, do you need to take a break to go handle what you need to handle? Because you can't have your phone out on the floor. You know this. We've already had the conversation that you're out here texting and I need you to be doing this. And then she starts getting huffy, like it's my fault. And so, um, and I said, I need you to put it away. She did. I go, thank you. Now let's get this done so we can get out of here. Uh -huh. We can get out of here a little early tonight. I kid you not, 10 minutes later, I come around the corner and there she is in wait, her wait, phone. Wait, wait, she's finished all the work. She's put everything away and you're ready to go home for the night. No, That's, she oh. hasn't done jack squat and she's still standing there texting away on the phone. And so I just stand there and I look at her down. I listen, this is my response. <laughs> this stare at her like, really? And so mm -hmm. now she knows that she's in it with me. So I walk into the office. I grab the guy that I was training to replace me. And I said, Bill, I want you to go get her. I said, I want you to bring her into the office. And when she comes in, I don't want you standing in the doorway. I want you standing kind of like on the opposite corner, but pretend you're doing something and just pay attention. Mm -hmm. He goes, okay. So she comes in, he goes and he gets her. She comes in and she goes, what? And I said, and I didn't even look at her and I'm writing on this page, this piece of paper. And I don't even, I think I was writing something like Mary had a little lamb or something like that. And I'm like, let me ask you a question. At what age do you think a human being is fully capable of following instructions? And she thinks, she goes, four. And I said, do I need to say any more? And she like stormed off. Man. <laughs> and like two, and then like a week later, I got her resignation, but that's fine because she wasn't a fit. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't rude. I wasn't nasty. I was just direct. I made my point. It was okay for her to feel the pressure, but behind the door after she left, there was never any conversation about, oh my God, she's so stupid. I don't understand why she does this. You know, like what a freaking lazy ass and blah, 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 right? All that chatter that comes out because we're frustrated because we haven't figured out how do we keep ourselves together yeah. without, because what you say becomes true right oh, we know no that yeah no doubt yeah so when you're starting to call people idiots guess what you become gross to everybody else because mm -hmm. that it honestly it does follow you when people and eventually somebody's going to hear it so if you don't resolve the things in your world that weren't great you may not have grown up in a really great home you may have had a really bad divorce you may have been you know, whatever you've got a disability. I mean, there's right, everybody right. has something we're human, right? Yeah. But if you don't develop what I call this black wolf thinking, which means that you found a way to take yourself and, and operate and either operate at a level to where you're not getting in your own way of success and your mm -hmm. employees will work with you not against you or rise above it and, you know, and, and knock it out. In other words, acknowledge it, deal with it, handle it, and then know how to manage it if and when it may come up. Yeah. Um, you it's all it's about mindset, right? Because when you have a dirty, nasty, gross ugh, kind of mindset, <laughs> it shows in how you engage in the world and it impacts your people.
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's what this is about. So if you're looking for blame rather than finding root cause and, and dealing with that, then you're only going to have an environment of toxicity where you're constantly blaming your employees when in fact you're responsible and you haven't gone deep enough to say, it's simple as this, this person doesn't get it or isn't motivated or doesn't care. Those are your right. options. So how yeah. are you going to deal with it? And it all boils back down to there's 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 good inside you and there's there's procrastination, laziness and, and evil inside you. And which wolf are you going to feed? Which one is the one you're exactly. going to nurture? Because the, the thing I've learned over time is that it doesn't matter what you wish for, whether you focus on the negative stuff that's going on in life or focus on the positive stuff that's going on in life. What you'll get is what you end up focusing on. So you exactly. might as well focus on the great stuff and exactly. uh, focus exactly. on the right wolf. Feed the right exactly. wolf. Though, yeah. So there's the white wolf and the black wolf. And the black wolf mm -hmm. is that rare mindset because the black wolf only exists as a rarity here in North America. It doesn't exist anywhere else in this world, which means that it's even more rare, right? So right. that puts you in that position of being an elite leader because you're willing to, and, and winning, like we talked about a little while ago, it's hard. Dealing with your own demons and with the things that pop up in your life is the most uncomfortable crap you will ever deal with. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. 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 So, it's, but if you it's don't, better when you've dealt with them, it's better to get right. them out of the way, but yeah, right. it's, it's never so pleasant it, though. Right. So if you don't deal with it, or if you don't find ways to manage it, or if you don't adopt the right mindsets and it takes a while to get there, mm -hmm. then here's the outcome that your team is going to produce. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to have bad customer service. You, people aren't going to give a flying fig about your core values because it's just, you know, paint on a wall. Right. Right. You know, Cause you're not living, you're not living up to your own standard. Mm. And so you have to determine, are you a black wolf standard or are you a white wolf standard? And we break those things down really clearly. Man, it's so you difficult. Have goosebumps? <laughs> No, I was just thinking about it. You know, the, the stuff you define as, as 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 the standard and setting the baseline. I mean, um, Thomas posted on his Facebook page this morning about how he'd been to the gym and how he'd been grateful for this and how he'd eaten his breakfast yeah, and how he'd done that. all this stuff. And I'm like, I've done that already today. Um, and it's just part of the grind. It's just part of how it works. It's like, I don't, there's, there's no part of me whatsoever that wants to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go for a run. None freaking hate it like it's just not my jam but yeah. there's a part of me more that says if i step up and if i show that i'm capable of leading and that i'm capable of taking care of myself and that i'm capable of doing all this stuff if i show i'm capable of it then everybody that works with me should feel that same way and that's why i get up and go work out it's because my desire to lead is greater than my desire to stay in bed which is quite great i might add i really like my bed yes. Uh, especially at five o'clock, <laughs> five o'clock in the morning and raining. Uh, it's it's uh, it's February. Yeah. It's the first of February right now. We're we're about to have a cold snap, so I'm not. Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. like, but like that's why I do it. You've you've got to uh, yeah. you've you've got to pick which wolf to feed, and by yep. showing initiative and showing leadership, you you become a leader. You cannot lead yep. people without leading yourself first. And. Um, yep. I, I still don't like getting out of bed at five o'clock, but I do it every day anyway. You know? Yeah. And, that, right. and that's the thing is that it's one thing to be able to, so you're modeling, you're modeling your expectation, right? Mm 
-hmm. But the other half of that is you can model it. There are people that model the expectation and expect people to rise up to their level. But the problem with that is, is that they don't work with them and they don't hold them accountable for Mm -hmm. that. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Right. And that's the other half of it. So if you're not, if you're leading it and you're not holding people to it, but yet you're got all this on your head about it now, you're still a white wolf leader. We're, we're getting there. Because you haven't taken action. Right. We're, we're, so. get, we're getting there. We're getting yeah. there. But, you know, everybody's motivated by different stuff as well. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one, one of the things that, that, that changed a lot for me was having these people write down what motivated them and what their goals were and making those our goals that we worked on together. Yeah. However, Brilliant. we, as much as I like to go another hour, um, we, we're, <laughs> we, both, we both have hard stops on time because we both time block and we both manage our calendars. Brenda, before I let you out of here, um, what's the name of your book and where's it available and how do we follow you on the internet and keep up with you Absolutely. online? The name of the book is called Two Wolves, mm-hmm. Which One Are You Feeding and How You Show Up for Your Team. It's available on Amazon.com. Um, you can follow me over at Brenda the HR Lady because nobody knows how to spell my last name. So we make that really, really easy. You can, If you want to check out the drone side of life, if you know somebody who's in law enforcement or you, you're listening, you're in law enforcement and want to check us out, we'd love to talk to you. Um, that website is aerialrecontraining.com. Wonderful, wonderful. We'll drop all those in the show notes. Brenda, thank you for being such a wonderful guest. I'm sorry we didn't get another hour to keep talking, but um, I'm looking forward to the next meetup that I get to see you at. Thank you so much thank for coming you. on yes, the show. Thank we'll you. Yes, we'll see you tomorrow, probably. I hope so. I hope so. Um, all right, guys, uh, that's going to wrap it up for today. A huge thanks to Brenda Neckvarl. Oh, Brenda, oh, thank you. The, the HR lady, as she's known. <laughs> Do me a favor. Run over to Amazon. Uh, grab her book, The, uh, the Two Wolves, and uh, we'll put all the links to her stuff in the show notes. And as always, if you've gotten anything out of today's show, go ahead and like it, subscribe it, leave a review and uh, share it with someone that might get something out of it. Brenda, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Sam. All right, guys, that's it from us. You'll be good. Stay safe. And we will see you on Friday for this week's episode of Friday Fire. Take care. This has been the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. If you've made it this far, you clearly like it. So go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. This helps people find the show and spread the good word. Share with friends and follow us at Small Business Surgeon on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you for your follow-up next week. The Small Business Surgeon was recorded at Texas Media Foundry in historic downtown Bryan, Texas. Check them out at txfoundry.com or on social media at txfoundry. Thanks for tuning in.